The Fake Show Podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, Mr. Antenna, and by Banger Brewing in downtown Las Vegas. Now your host, Jim Tofty. You know, I've had a chance to interview Todd Rundgren a few times in my career. He's always interesting, funny, and the smartest guy in the room. In the rock world, he completely rewrote the playbook. His restlessness usually means that we're in for the next great thing. Thing. And he's coming back to Las Vegas with his longtime bandmates. I've got him on the line right now. Todd, how's it going? I'm okay. Fantastic. How's the tour going so far? Well, we only did two dates, but uh, they were both fine. So. <laughs> Good. <laughs> You're not ready to get off the road yet, in other words? Well, you know, I, the question was, what I was I ready to get on the road? <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm, uh, I'm prepared. My loins are girded. Good, good. That's always good. This and then a month of Ringo. I was just going to ask. So you are doing more Ringo All Star dates? Yeah. As soon as I finish this, um, we do a, a tour with Ringo for about a little more than a month. We're done on July second, and then we also go out again in October. Uh, on a Pacific Rim tour. And obviously that's been going well because you've been with Ringo for a while. Is he just one of the guys in the band? Well, nobody questions who the boss is. <laughs> right. You know, and he's, you know, more than willing to take the responsibility in that regard. But he is more one of the guys than he is the boss. Yeah. Um, and that's the way he likes it. You know, he's put together these combinations, you know, for years and years, and they have various varying degrees of success from a musical and a social standpoint. <laughs> In other words, his only criteria has been you have to have had three hit records in your career somewhere. That's the criterion. There's no psychological evaluation, and there's no sort of audition to figure out whether you can play anybody else's music. Yeah, I guess there'd be no band if there was a psychological evaluation. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I mean. Sometimes you get someone with a certain sort of problem that yeah. is not going away <laughs> through, the, through the entire tour. And again, you may get someone with a musical problem, and then they can play their three songs, but they can't play anybody else's material. I never thought about that, yeah. The <laughs> first time he's gotten a group where we all all get along really famously and we can all play each other's material really well <laughs> yeah it's a very polished almost studio collection of guys between you and greg raleigh and steve lukather yeah and i don't think ringo was thinking oh this you know i, I i'm going to you know, hire a bunch of studio guys or i have to make the band this way or that way right purely coincidence just like every other band just <laughs> put together but you know by coincidence we all just really got along and we all happen to be able to play each other's stuff. <laughs> so you, on this current tour, you're as unpredictable as ever because this time around you're playing your hits, which is something that you, you don't do necessarily all the time, but it's just great for the fans. Yeah, I've, you know, I've played a lot of this material, but in different contexts. Like uh, in the 90s, we went out as a bossa nova band and carried our own tiki bar with us wherever we went. <laughs> I was playing I Saw the Light, but it was the bossa nova version of I Saw the Light, right. which, you know, didn't bother people that much. But when I started doing EDM versions of I Saw the Light and Hello, It's Me, that's when people started to get a little bit <laughs> out of shape. So I figured, all right, I will throw you this off this time because this 
as everyone well knows, I don't take requests. I will play the songs that you remember the way you remember them, a substantial number of them every night, although we have a master list of about 50 songs, and we play about half of them per night because that takes two hours. (laughs) And uh, it's a different set every night. I essentially compose a set about an hour before the show so that we remain on our toes and so that the audience who is often comprised of repeat uh, attendees people who come to several shows so they don't wind up seeing the exact same show every night right you know i read something that you said once about being around long enough that whatever it is you do becomes interesting again eventually which i thought was great ideally (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> Ideally, that happens. Uh, there is a, you know, a certain amount of when you get to my age. There's a lot of attrition in the audience. People are getting older. They don't go out as much. They die, literally. You know, right. And uh, so somehow you've got to, you know, reconstitute your audience. And part of it is automatic because I have the kind of fans that are devoted enough that they force their children to come to the shows until their children have become <laughs> habitués. Right. So, and that's one way that you get to see younger kids. But you also have to, you know, be willing to, you know, make a foray into different kinds of music into more contemporary kinds of music, even if it, you know, even if you're, you know, broaching the possibility you might offend some of your old, long-time fans, you know, right. who want to hear things the way they remember it. But, you know, you've got to find new audience somewhere. You've got to be willing to address changes in music, at least for me. You know, there are certain people, you know, I'm happy that Tony Bennett is still just Tony Bennett and does what Tony Bennett does. Right. You know? And that he hasn't done an EDM album. That's fine, you know. <laughs> but for me, you know, my you know, my calling has always been to explore musical genres and see how they can be recombined and and how I can, you know, embed my message in them. And that's probably never going to change. You have produced so many artists, you know, anyone from Grand Funk to the Psychedelic Furs, XTC. Is that as satisfying or can it be as satisfying for you as doing your own material? Uh, It often is. It can sometimes, sometimes not be. You know, sometimes it does not turn out the way you pre-visualize it. Sometimes it turns out better than you pre-visualize it, you know. But for me, it was always an opportunity to um, learn something from the artists that I'm working with and at the same time apply what I've learned in making my own records to helping other people make theirs. So it isn't like they're so separated in my mind. I'm actually creating, you know, kind of a bi-directional feedback loop in there where I'm getting influenced by them and I am influencing them. And hopefully in the end, we are both better for that process. You had produced Janis Joplin early on. Was that just a bad matchup at a time when you were still pretty a pretty young guy? Uh, partly that. It was, um, you know, I was younger than her and younger than probably most everyone else involved in the project. Uh, there was a lot of uh, vagueness about where things were going. I was sent to, uh, essentially sent to Mill Valley where she was living to supervise this process of finding material. And 
I guess, sort of putting together a band. She had a bunch of musicians she was working with, but they weren't necessarily, they didn't have a name. You know, they were mostly Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) A group from Canada that left their name behind or something like that. (laughs) And they eventually, Albert Grossman came up with the Full Tilt Boogie Band. That's what they were named. Oh, yeah. But, you know, production is as much about style uh, and the way that you relate to people as anything else. And I've always been someone who really wanted to focus on the musical aspects and not the personality aspects. But that leaves me at a disadvantage with a certain kind of artist. Janice is the kind of artist that just needed to be stroked constantly. Interesting. And I was just not a stroker. Yeah. (laughs) And also, you know, I... My relationship with her was interrupted right in the middle of it by this this flyer project that came out of nowhere. Somebody who was writing in an office, writing songs for Albert Grossman in an office somewhere, said, we got this song, and we want Janice to record it now, and wanted to do it with the Paul Butterfield band, whom I had worked with before. So, although the personnel had changed, so... So anyway, they sent us to L.A. from Marine County and say, get in the studio and record this thing. And, you know, we worked on this one song. And nobody was really kind of satisfied with the result because we were just kind of handed it out of the blue and said, and, and instructed to do it. And it was the first time that I had ever worked in a union studio. I wasn't even allowed to touch the console. Oh, wow. So, it, you know, and it was one of these things where, like, you're working, you're working, working, and everything is broken down into three-hour chunks strictly union studio you're but you think you're finally ready to do a take and all the engineers go on break (laughs) (laughs) one of the worst experiences i ever had in the studio and uh and she went on to work with paul rothschild who was you know more the kind of producer who she should have worked with somebody who doesn't know that much about music but who's willing to stroke you the entire time yeah that was a great take that was beautiful Let's just try another. <laughs> wow, that's a great inside look. I had no idea. I know that you've got to run. I just wanted to get one more question in, Todd. This is from a listener, John Amberg. He actually saw you recently in Durham, North Carolina. Wanted to know if this tour might rekindle an interest in you maybe doing another collection of original songs in the manner of Hermit of Mink Hollow. Well, I possibly could do that. because I haven't really determined exactly what I'm going to do. But I could say that it's likely not going to be like that. That was one of the albums in which I played everything myself. And my more recent records have been essentially done that way because I'm living in Hawaii and it's just impractical to call people up for a session. You know, they have to fly, you know, 5,000 miles to get there. So I'm going to find a way to make this album just much more collaborative. I want to involve a lot of other musicians, a lot of other writers possibly, maybe even other producers to get out of that sort of insular thing that I've been in of making the records entirely myself. What exactly it's going to be like, I can't tell you right now, but I know that it's going to involve a lot of other musicians. So nice to talk to you, Todd. My pleasure. All right, take care. We'll see you soon. Good luck on the tour. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Very exciting news from Todd on a new project where he will collaborate with other artists, and of course his latest tour where he is playing the hits, which is great for longtime fans. And what an incredible story about his brief time attempting to produce Janis Joplin. 
Well, we've come to the end of this edition of The Fake Show. If you need anything, just go to our Fake Show Facebook and Twitter pages. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you back here next time. Take The Fake Show with you at thefakeshow.com, SoundCloud, and at iTunes. <laughs>